Good morning. Uh, welcome to another Facebook Live. Um, today, I just wanted to chat a little bit about the notion of coveting. Um, I'm currently doing a book study. Uh, the book's over here. I'll show you it. On this book by uh, a guy called Paul Hessert, uh, Christ in the End of Meaning. Many of you will know that because I've been talking about it a fair amount. It's actually a book that um, I've really enjoyed. It's one of my favorite um, kind of theology books, and I think it's full of very rich ideas. So today is eight, uh, week eight. Um, we're going to do one more week, and then that, that's going to be it. If you're interested in the ideas, you can get the book study, um, which includes a PDF of the book. But don't worry if you don't want to do it. I'm probably going to do a number of Facebook Lives, just taking out little insights from the book. And in the chapter we're looking at at the moment, uh, he talks about you know, this very um, kind of ancient word, this, the, the idea of coveting. And basically what we naturally think is that to covet something, you know, there's, pe there's people who covet, who desire other people's things, and there's people who don't. And, you know, there's to a greater or lesser extent, probably all of us have done that from time to time. But to covet is really a moral thing that, uh, as I say, some people are caught up in and, and other people aren't. But Hesser wants to argue that, no, it's a, it's a deep term. It's a, it's a theoretical term that's not primarily about some people wanting other people's stuff. Um, it's actually core to our very sense of self. To covet is a basic existential structure of selfhood. Now, the way I would describe that um, is to refer to some of my earlier work that you might know where I talk about how the self is created um, primarily through two processes, two important processes. Um, the first is separation from the world. Uh, which is usually, you know, separation from the primary caregiver, which is often your mother, your first experience of, of in a sense, selfhood, of being thrown into the world, as Heidegger would say, is, is being weaned from your mother's breast. And this is a traumatic experience, and this sets up this interesting uh, space between what we have, which is the, the poverty of what we have, and what we would like to have. Uh, what we would like to have is that unity, that oneness, that oceanic experience of connection with the world. So to be human, to be a self, is to experience a profound loss. And then the, the other one, and I'm doing this very quickly, um, is called uh, the mirror phase, where in a sense you create um, a self through projecting your ideals out onto someone else like your brother or your sister, um, or even just literally a mirror image of yourself. You project something out, and then you identify with that image. But what this does is again, it creates this distinction, not between what you have and what you would like to have, but now between who you are and who you would like to be. So I say in previous seminars, I've looked at how to be human is to, to a greater or lesser extent, experience living in the gap between what you have and what you'd like to have, who you are and who you'd like to be. So if I have a relationship with you, I have a relationship with the, the person you aren't, <laughs> the person you would like to be, uh, as much as I have a relationship with who you are. Now, in Hessert's scheme, 
covetousness is to desire something that you don't have, something in the future, something in a different place in space or time um, that you feel would kind of make you better, would make your life better, would fulfill you in some sort of way. And so interestingly, to covet is a basic structure. You can even covet yourself. You can covet an ideal of yourself. You can covet the type of person you would like to be. You can covet the type of things that you would like to have, uh, even if they're not your neighbor's stuff, even if it's just fantasy of the things that you would like to accumulate in your life uh, to take away some of the difficulties and the pain. So when you think about it in this sense, to covet is an existential term that is inherently connected to selfhood. And in theological terms, this is called incorporation into the body of death. Because living in this way, you experience death all the time. What you don't have, you experience lack, you experience um, dissatisfaction, you experience poverty in your life. You're always thinking there's going to be something else. And so um, in theological terms, this, this is incorporation into a cultural body, into um, uh, an, a psychological body um, that defines uh, our lives and that causes us to strive to buy self-help books. I mean, even the term self-help is about, you know, how do you help the self become or grasp some other reality? Uh, in the previous Facebook Live, I think I talked about the hero as someone who uses their will and uses their strength to get something or to get somewhere, um, which is the opposite of the saint who gives up grasping. Um, so this, this structure of coveting, um, you know, has a much, much deeper resonance. And then what Hesser does is he says, okay, if, if to covet is connected with selfhood, then what's the alternative? And he says that we need to rediscover the theological term soul. Now, what he means by soul is not some sort of eternal part of the self that never dies or some sort of supernatural thing. And he's saying that actually the best definition we have of soul would be like um, uh, how, how the word soul is used in the black community in America. I think that's kind of where this idea of soul kind of came from, at least in the American culture. Whenever I lived close to New York, um, this term was used. And it, it describes a person who is very at peace with themselves, who has a real depth that has come from pain, from suffering, it has come from a life well lived. But someone with soul isn't striving, they're not trying to impress anybody. Uh, when I think of someone with soul, I think of my friend Barry Taylor. Uh, he is someone who I think has a lot of soul. Um, I've known him for 12 years and still uh, when we're talking, he'll tell me some crazy story from his past that I never knew. Um, the reason is because he's never trying to impress you. He's just had a really interesting life. And if you happen to be having a conversation about something that connects with some crazy experience in his life, he'll, he'll tell you about it. And um, what you find is, yeah, he's not trying to get social recognition. He's not trying to strive for anything. He's very at peace in his own body and his own skin. And, and that's what soul is. If you think of selfhood, in, in, in this analogy, uh, imagine A, point A and point B, and there's a horizontal line connecting them. 
the self is, is, is on that line. You're at point A and you want B. That's coveting. The self wants to get somewhere, to be something, to grasp some reality. But soul is like you just move B down beneath A. So now you've got a vertical connection. So someone with soul isn't striving for some sort of tomorrow. They are connecting to a depth. Um, they are very at home in their own kind of being. And so someone with soul still desires, they still want to do things. They still get out and hang out with people. They have interesting lives. But these lives are not, they're not, um, uh, what would be the word? Uh, they're not fueled by the desire for social recognition or the desire to um, fill some sort of lack or the desire to impress some individual or anything like that um, that makes you dissatisfied, that makes you think that if you only you got to point B, then everything would be great. When you, in, in, whenever you have soul, you break the, this covetous nature and you break this entire framework, which has to get you from A to B and the temporality that exists and the impossibility of that um, in order to, to kind of to be. And, and actually, Hesser uses an example, interestingly, of marriage, where he says, um, you know, because people get married for all kinds of reasons. Uh, you go back far enough, people got married for economic reasons. They got married, or even further back, for biological reasons to keep the species going. Um, and then, of course, for economic relations and to, you know, maybe solidify power. Uh, and then, you know, you see in France in the medieval period, the, the growth of romantic love. And at first, romantic love um, is tragic, impossible love. So, you know, I can't remember the, um, the century of Amour Courtois, I forget. But the, the idea was, well, marriage is for economic and power purposes. But... Uh, Love is something that happens outside of marriage. So a lady would be married to, say, a king, uh, but then she would be in love with a knight. And the knight and the lady could never be together, but they would love each other and yearn for each other. And that's the beginning of kind of, in a sense, romantic love. And then within the English tradition um, grew the idea that amour courtois could happen within a relationship which is kind of now what we have in our understanding of marriage today, which is um, that you can have this intense romantic feeling within the uh, strictures of, of, of a wedding, of a marriage. And like, Hesert doesn't go against any of that stuff. He's like, yep, that's fair enough. But the problem is marriage naturally is we're trying to get something out of it, whether it's feelings of romance or economic stuff or just you know, keep, the, keep the family line going, whatever it is. But he contrasts this with um, what he sees in, in the Apostle Paul, which is a sense of which marry or don't marry. It's fine. Don't, don't do any of these things from this social sense that you have to, that you need to achieve something, that you need to get to some point. Um, the, the motivation should be internal and not motivated by what society, the they, um, the big other, um, says that you should do. So in a sense, you're not compelled then to be married or to be single or to any of these things. Um, those are decisions you make. 
but not in this sense of coveting a new life, a better life, a life that is so much richer than the one you currently have, which can dictate why we get married or why we get divorced. That somehow there is another way of being um, that he describes as soul. So there you go. Uh, in a couple of hours, I'm going to do a whole kind of like hour and a half on this subject. This is kind of good practice for me. So I'm just going to check to see if you have any questions or thoughts, comments, um, before I let you get on with your day. Let's see. Ivan says, thank you for sending me the $20 via PayPal. Ivan, I have no idea why I sent you $20 via PayPal, but good on you. I don't know if you're blackmailing me or anything like that, or was that a refund for a course? I'm not sure. I think it might have been. Um, yeah, some of my early courses are very bad quality in terms of the audio and the visual. And um, yeah, so uh, they're, they're not great, but they're going to get better. Um, oh, there's Heather Lynn. Hi, Heather Lynn. I resonate with this perspective, feeling and embodiment of soul. Um, also, your hair is finally striking a balance between presenting as respectable philosopher, but being a bit of a mad artist on the inside. Yeah, thank you very much. That's good. That's that's the that's what that's the sweet spot I'm going for. If you go back to my early videos, it's just completely mental. And then there was a little period where I tried to look respectable. This is the this is the in between. Um, <laughs> GSA GS says someone make a gif of the to quote. Unfortunately, you're in my bedroom. <laughs> yeah. Um, Jared, what do you think about the idea that the ideal self is possibly the real self or eternal self? For example, mystics seem to describe the spiritual journey as one of peeling layers off the onion to get to the true self. Is this the inversion, inverse of covering uh, or merely a redefined version of it? Yeah, I, I, I think it's very problematic to talk about the true self or the eternal self unless um, there is a way that people can mean that. Um, if you mean that in a sense of the true self is the, is the acknowledgement that there is no true self, um, then I can go with it. Because there's a way you could say that is in a sense, you know, who, who are, like Jean-Paul Sartre would say, well, what is a human? What is a human subjectivity? It is a constant becoming subject. It's a constantly becoming human. So for Sartre, there is no like eternal self. but but there is in a sense, which is when you come to acknowledge the, the in process and the construction of the self um, as the self, uh, then, then and you know, if you call that the true self, the, the problem is I think that can be a little bit misleading because when people hear the true self, they think, oh, there is a real me like, you know, with the certain desires that are mine and certain kind of uh, skills that are mine and if I could only kind of reach that, that true self, and I think that's problematic, because in this notion, the ideal self is precisely a fiction. It's a fiction that is constructed through your incorporation into a cultural, religious, and political world. It's with you, because to become a self is to be embodied, not just in a physical body, but to be embodied in a cultural body. And those desires and those ways of even expressing those desires you know, the language that we have is given to us. They're there before we arrive and after we leave. I mean, one example is, is how if you go out with somebody 
you can start to take on their desires. So say the person likes chess and suddenly you, know, you find yourself like taking an interest in that game. And then when you break up with the person, you retain that interest in the game and it becomes your interest. Um, in fact, sometimes couples can argue over, you know, possessions that in one sense, one person would have had no interest in before being in a relationship with that person. And now they feel invested in them. Those are, those are bands that I like, you know, that's music that I listen to when perhaps it was the other person who, who sparked off those desires. So actually, I like your analogy of the onion. I think it's more true in the sense of like when you peel back an onion, there is nothing but the layers. And you go, so an onion is the layers. An onion isn't found when you peel away the layers and you get to the, you get to the onion, you get to the core, the essence. In a sense, the onion is the multiple layers. Um, you know, so that, that's why I talk about coming to terms with the absurd, you know, coming to terms with the fact that we live between um, our actual and our ideal selves and that we need to not be striving for the ideal, but to realize that the ideal is a type of fiction that actually we need to be freed from. So instead of being freed to get your ideal, we need to be freed from our ideal. Uh, let's see, I'll do one more and then I'll, I'll pop on. Uh, Oh yeah, and Gary just says a very real question there. He's like, when we realize the covetousness and brokenness of our lives, how do we survive the sadness? Yeah, um, there is a deep trauma to giving up these pursuits and to, and to encountering our brokenness and to kind of like giving up those ideals. But the, the key is, that for most of us, that depression is not giving up enough, right? So, so for example, you know, you want a certain person, you want to go out with a certain person, and then you give that up, and you realize that that's not going to happen, and you get depressed about it. You have given up the desire for that ideal relationship, but you, you so you've given, yeah, you've given up, you've given up the reality of it, but you haven't given up the the belief that it will make you whole and complete. And that's what makes you depressed. You're going, I wish I could be with that person. Everything would be wonderful. Now, it might be great and you might have missed out on something good. Absolutely. Or you might have missed out on something bad, right? But the point is you're, you have not missed out on what will make you whole and complete because that's a fiction. So what happens is for, for me, you know, it's, it's, you have to go all the way, not just giving up the ideals, but actually giving up the psychic connection you have to those ideals because actually in actual fact giving up the ideals isn't the issue if you give up your psychic requirement to have that car that money that person then you can still want it and you might still get it but you're not psychically invested in it being perfect and wonderful and good um, and then all sorts of problems come out of that and again problems i've looked at before where we self-sabotage because secretly, like, you know, the gambler example I use where we think gamblers are addicted to winning, but psychoanalytically speaking, gamblers are often addicted to losing because in losing, it keeps the magic alive that there is a win that will make them whole and complete. 
Whereas if you just won the slot machine all the time, you would quite quickly get bored of it because it's not that great. So in our, in our attachment to this sacred object, this lost object that we think will make us whole and complete, um, it causes great depression. And the key is to try to detach ourselves from the psychic need um, so that we can desire it freely without it destroying us. That's very hard to do, but that's what Hesert means by soul. And sometimes it's hard won through a lifetime um, of a person who is able to have, like, I, I, you know, I, when I think of someone with soul, it's someone who, who is able to look at the bittersweet nature of their life and smile, you know? That's, that's what soul is for me. Um, whereas the selfhood striving is the one who is caught up in brokenness and depression. And so many of us are, my goodness. But there is freedom from that. Um, the practical stuff is, you know, we need art and we need music and we need friendship. Um, we need certain, there are certain practices that can help. And, uh, you know, that's, that's my interest is what's the technology to help us do this. Um, but that'll take us way too deep down the rabbit hole for today. So thank you for uh, listening to me and, and being part of this, this little Facebook Live video. Uh, if you're part of the book group, then I will see you in a, in a couple of hours. Thank you. Take care.